my past to your mercy, my present to your love, my future to your providence. These are the words of St. Augustine. We all know him as one of the greatest theologians, but a little context to the evoking of that prayer, I think, really helps reveal the nature of that prayer. St. Augustine lived in the uh, 4th century in northern Africa. And at this time, the Roman Empire is beginning to collapse. And filling that power vacuum are these hordes of barbarians who are coming into northern Africa and other parts. And they are just decimating the culture and the society. Including taking out the churches, burning them, and killing Christians. And Augustine, yes, he was a great theologian, but he was also a really good bishop who loved his people and spent years building up his diocese of Hippo. And he was seeing all this just be dismantled by this chaos. And so he prays, knowing that he's not able to control the outcome. He prays, my past to your mercy. And all that we've accomplished here, we, we can't rest on our laurels as Christians. All this can be taken away. So I just extend all this, all this past to you, Lord. And the future, we don't, we don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen with Rome. We don't know what's going to happen with the barbarians. We don't know what's going to happen with our, with our city and with our families and with our faith. And so we just put all of this under your providence, Lord, because we can't trust in anything else other than you. And our present to your love. It's only your love that's going to get us through this time. Beautiful. It's such a dark time. It reminds me, too, in general, of St. Paul's life. And specifically, what we hear in our second reading, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. Again, a little context here is important. I just got back from walking in the footsteps of St. Paul. So I took about 30 of our parishioners on what's called a pilgrimage, and maybe about 10 or so of their family and friends, about 40 of us, went over and we walked in the footsteps of St. Paul, his second journey. We know from the scriptures that he had three evangelical journeys throughout the Roman Empire. So we were walking on the second one. And the second one primarily takes place in Greece. And what we did is we spent time in many of the cities that he either preached at or he visited, he, he lived or he wrote letters to or all of those, including Corinth. Corinth, where he wrote his letter to the Corinthians, two of them, is um, in that area between northern Spain and southern Spain where two of the main uh, parts of uh, the mainland, Greece, meet together in this little narrow passage. Because it's on either side, there's two great seas, the Ionian Sea and the Aegean Sea. And we got to see both of those seas. We got to see this little passage where Corinth is situated and in that space, Corinth flourished. First, under the Greek Empire, 
when it was established by the father of Alexander the Great. And then when Rome came along, it flourished even more in the Roman Empire. And the reason why was that it was right in the crossroads of these true great seas and therefore all the trade in east and west that takes place right there in Corinth. It was, in the time that Paul visits it, a, a city that was flourishing. It was the richest city in Greece. And because of all that, Paul would have walked through like the Roman form and seen these great monuments to the gods. These great cultural cities where singing and dancing and theater would have taken place. He would have seen all of the schools and education, the, the mammoth government buildings. He would, he would have seen and experienced um, so much wealth. And yet, even though Corinth was known for its prosperity, what it was also known for in Paul's time was its great immorality. It was the most corrupt city in Greece. A corrupt government, ridden with crime, filled with prostitutes and drinking and all that kind of stuff. It's interesting that a city that was so prosperous and so rich and had everything at its fingertips was also wrapped in immorality. Why? Because often when we are prosperous, when everything's going well, we forget about what is most important. And we get wrapped up in ourselves and entertainment and all kinds of other things that distract us and feed our pleasure. And down the rabbit hole we go. And this was a pre-Christian society. But a society that was, as St. Paul acknowledges in his letter to the Corinthians, that was originally very religious, very attached to their gods. And it was into this situation that the Holy Spirit sent St. Paul. And Paul doesn't come there for a few days, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in, he's out. He stayed there for a year and a half. And while he was there, he encountered great opposition to preaching Jesus Christ. Of course, because people didn't want to hear the truth. They wanted to make up their own truth and live their own lives. They didn't want to know that there was a power greater than them. They wanted to rely upon their own powers. So he met with great opposition, and yet in the midst of the great darkness of this in morality, he also won many converts. Because many people saw what was going on in that city, in that society, in that culture, and they found it wanting. They found it empty. They found it purposeless. And so he won many converts. It wasn't a matter of either or. It was a matter of both and. And by the time St. Paul died in the year 67 A.D., he was in Corinth in 51, 52 A.D., by the time he died, thousands of people in the city of Corinth had converted to Christianity because of this one man. How? 
Well, we get a view of that, a little view of that, in today's second reading, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. And in it, he says to, he tells us that he has a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. He never reveals that. But we just know that he suffered a great deal because of it. And so he asked the Lord to remove the thorn in his flesh, to remove his suffering. And the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you. And so St. Paul, who trusted in the Lord, said, okay then, Lord, then bring it on. Bring on the persecutions. Bring on the trials. Bring on the hardships. Bring on the rejections. And he said this because when Jesus said, my grace is sufficient to you, he said, because power is made perfect in weakness. And so St. Paul says, it's when I'm weak that I am strong. And St. Paul knew this up and down his life as he traveled on these three journeys to all these pagan places. He knew that when things were going well for the people, they often forgot God and forgot what was most important. But when things went hard, like when things went hard for him, he found himself growing more in his faith rather than resting on his laurel. makes me think of what Paul must have thought of in his own life about God's mercy, love, and providence. If you remember, St. Paul, before he was St. Paul, he was Saul, and he was the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith as a Pharisee. And we, we don't know, but we can only imagine that many times the enemy would have come to him and tried to rem remind him of his past, of the terrible things that he did. And what he had to do is over and over again, say like St. Augustine said 300 years ago, my past to your mercy. Not allowing himself to be fined, to be defined by his sins and be stuck in the past by his mistakes, but to be free and Jesus Christ, through his mercy. We can only imagine that St. Paul, whenever he would be sent by the Spirit to yet another town, didn't know how it was going to go. Am I going to be accepted this day? Are people going to rejoice in Jesus Christ? Or are they going to beat me and throw me out of the city and leave me for half dead? He didn't know. And so he didn't put his his, his, his trust in the powers of other people or his own powers. He put his trust in the power of God's providence. And he knew that each day in the present day, all that he had really that was of substance, that really mattered, was that God loved him. And it was out of that that he was able to do God's work and love others and bring so many other people to Christ. By the time he died, not only thousands in Corinth came to Christ, but by the time he died, tens of thousands throughout the Roman Empire were brought to the Lord for this one man. Incredible. Reminds me of a story. 
is a story from a letter that was written in 1977 by a farmer in the Midwest to Dr. Robert Schuller. Maybe some of our older folks know Dr. Robert Schuller. He uh, used to be on TV. He was a national preacher and teacher, and um, he had a TV show. So he writes to Dr. Schuller, and he, he starts out by saying, these past four years of my life have been the worst years of my life and the best years of my life. And he goes on to describe that there was a great um, uh, um, drought and disease of his crops and, and the crops in his area four years ago. And it just decimated his, his, his harvest. He, he grew soybeans. And so he was literally walking in his field just looking at this mess. And he drops to his knees and he begins to pray. And he prays, Lord, all the years of successful farming, it's just gone. I, I, I just give all this to you. And I, I don't know what the future is going to be. But I know that you're going to guide me through the future. And all I have today is you. And I trust you. I trust myself and my family and this farm to you. And when he got up out of the dust... He looked up and he saw one large soybean, soybean plant. And it was robust and healthy, bigger than anything he's ever seen. And he felt moved by the Holy Spirit. He communicates that this he was, he was to use as a new beginning in his life. And just to trust in the Lord. So he does. He goes and cuts it down, takes it back to his house. And he meticulously picks out every bean from each one of the pods. 503 beans. And he dries them out over the winter months. He plants them in the spring. He grows them in the summer. And then he harvests them in the fall. And from that harvest, 32 pounds of soybean comes. And he meticulously takes out all of the beans from that. And he dries them over the winter. He plants them in the spring. He grows them in the summer. And then from that harvest comes 2,400 pounds of soybean. And then he spent months picking out every single one of those beans. And over the winter, he dries all of them. He plants them in the spring. He grows them in the summer. And in the fall, he harvests 2,100 bushels of soybean. He takes it to market and he makes back all that he lost in those four years. And that's it, nothing more. But then he communicates. But then he gains something far richer than that in those four years. He learned to trust in God again. And to entrust his life to God during this great time of trial. He drew, he, he drew closer to God than he ever had before. It's a, beautiful, difficult story. And I think what it communicates is something very important for all of us to hear, particularly on this weekend. You know, this weekend we celebrate our Independence Day as a nation. 
And we know the story of our, of our origins, right? We know that people came from other lands to this land in order to be able to freely celebrate their faith in Jesus Christ. That in other places, they were being persecuted for their faith of, of multiple de denominations. And so all of them, for different reasons, for in different ways, all came here for the same purpose, to be free in our relationship with God. To be free to raise up our children in the faith, our families and our communities in the faith. And to shape a nation based upon our identity and our mission in Jesus Christ. And that's how we got our origins. And that's what we fought for, for our independence. So maybe on this day, it's a good day for us to remember what true freedom is. True freedom is not relying upon our own powers as individuals. It's not relying upon other powers external to us, whether that's government, educational institutions, whether that's entertainment and culture, whether that's food and our bank account and our jobs and our health and other people. But first and foremost, what real freedom is, is putting ourselves under God as a nation and as a people. And saying with St. Paul and St. Augustine and that poor farmer who was so rich, my past to your mercy. As an individual and as a nation, my past to your mercy. That we don't rest on our laurels as accomplishment as a people or as accomplishment as a group of Christians or as an individual. You know, I've grown so much in my faith and here I am and I don't need to change. I don't need more. I don't need to depend upon God more. I don't need to evolve in my faith. I don't mean to mature my faith. I've done all this before me or my family was here at St. Francis and their family and their family. I'm from a multi-generations right here and so we rest on our laurels and we don't do anything with our faith. And in that context, we need God's help because we've been resting on our laurels. Or the other side of that is that we remember our great sins. The enemy comes to us and tries to define us by our sins, to name us by our sins, rather than God who calls us by our name, out of our sins. And rather than being stuck in the past, God calls us to journey with him, just like he did with St. Paul, a great sinner, who became a great saint. And then none of us knows our future as a nation or as individuals or as a family. And so we put ourselves under the greatest power, and that's God's providence. Because his providence is the stuff that is going to get us into heaven and to the kingdom of heaven rather than be too attached to the kingdom of man. Each day then, Daily, as we live our lives, we trust ourselves to God's love for us. His great, awesome, unconditional, powerful love, which has the ability to transform our lives 
and has the ability to give us hope no matter what's going on outside in our world. On this Independence Day weekend, I'm going to celebrate the greatest independence that we have. Our dependence and freedom. It's not either or. Our dependence and freedom in Jesus Christ. And then truly, in our past, we can find redemption. In our future, we can find eternal life. And in the present reality, we can find God's love. Happy Independence Day.